Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching, just like the title says. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. I'm also the author of Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, the very best book that I have ever written. For more information about my book or to see what else I've been up to, go to my website, tomfrench.com.au. And with that, let's get on with the talk. When I was a single man, I got a letter in the post and it was from a secret admirer. And uh, this uh, secret admirer, she had written and said that she had known me for a while and she was interested in me, but she was very shy and she didn't want to uh, tell me uh, you know, too much about herself, but she did want to maybe get to know me a bit. And so she left me an email address. Uh, she'd written it on a, you know, she typed it up and then printed it out with a font that was like a ransom note font, like someone had gone through and cut up stuff. <laughs> And, uh, and I got this and I read it and I thought, this is probably my housemate pranking me. I'm 95% sure that this is a prank. But 5% of me thinks that maybe it's not. Maybe there is a strange and shy but beautiful woman out there who wants to get to know me. I don't know. Maybe. And so I played it cool. I just pretended that I was 100% sure it was a prank. Uh, I told my housemate about it and he was like, oh, you've got an admirer. And I was like, probably not. It's probably just a prank. But inside I was like, maybe it's not. Maybe it's someone who loves me. And so then I I got on the internet and I started to, you know, try and figure out who this person was. I got the email address and I googled the email address and then I tried to stalk this woman online on, on Facebook. I tried to track her down. I even went and found the font that she used uh, just in case there were any kind of, you know, like clues in there or what website she went to. And, uh, and after all my kind of, you know, searching, I discovered, uh, oh, I emailed her as well because then, uh, then she wrote back and then I, you know, used that email to see if I could figure out anything about her. But then after all of those things, what I discovered is that the 5% that I thought was right, and that is how I met my wife. That's not true. <laughs> no, it was the 95%. It was my housemate. He... Uh, <laughs> He just thought it was funny to, to prank me like that. He, my singleness was, you know, a, a reason for him to, to get many laughs, and he got a few more that day. Uh, but, but I tell you that because in this passage, we have a mystery that we have to solve. And uh, the mystery is, who is this person that is talking in Isaiah? Now, it's probably uh, not as strange, but shy, but beautiful woman who is speaking uh, but, but there is this question that continually comes up when people look at the passage and say, well, who is the servant of the Lord? And when you first look at it, some people say, well, look, it's obvious. As you read it, it says, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Well, here is Isaiah speaking in the first person, talking about being called the same way that, say, like Jeremiah would talk about it. So obviously, we'll look at Isaiah. Isaiah is talking here in the first person. That makes sense. Done. Why do we need to keep asking these questions? But other people who've read a bit more of the passage will say, no, 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 it can't be Isaiah. Uh, because look, if you look in verse 3, it says this. God speaks and he says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. 
So obviously it's not Isaiah, but it's Isaiah speaking as if he is the nation of Israel. He's saying, you, and he's saying, I am Israel, and this is what I have been called to do. And so maybe it is Israel who is this person, and maybe this is the solution to the mystery. But then if you uh, read a bit more, other people will point out and say, well, look at, look at verse 5, where it says, He formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. Or in verse 6, it is no small thing for you to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. And so here, if it is Israel, then Israel's job is to restore Israel and bring Israel back to Israel, which is kind of like, how does that, how does that work? And so then we get to the, the third option, that this is not uh, Israel, the, the nation itself, but it is an idealized Israel, that is one person, it is the servant of the Lord who is the representative of Israel, to do the things that Israel could not do for itself. Israel could not uh, restore itself. It could not uh, bring back the tribes. It could not bring Israel together. It could not live the way that Israel was called to live. But here is a servant of the Lord who has been called by God to live the way uh, that Israel should have lived, to do the things that Israel should have done, to be Israel where Israel could not be Israel. It is one person. All the hopes of Israel have now met in one person. And now some of you are sitting there and say, oh, I know who it is. I know who this person is. Uh, and, and if you know who it is, well, that's great. You, you've gone, yeah, I've been to church enough. I know this is Jesus. Well, it's Jesus, uh, which is great. But uh, when, you, when we are reading this passage, if we remember that, that these guys, the first time that they read this, uh, the people who Israel was, Isaiah was writing to, they did not know about Jesus. Jesus had not turned up yet. But they are in this situation where it's around the time of their return from exile. They've been taken off into Babylon. And now they are seeing that here is a promise here that, that one will come, one who will represent Israel and bring God's people back together. And so this is a hope that they are waiting for. And so when they do get to meet Jesus uh, about 400 years later, we can look at the life of Jesus and see that it can only be Jesus who is this servant of the Lord. Uh, if you look at the passage, we see uh, a few kind of, a few clues there. Uh, in verse 2, it says, he made, me like a, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me uh, into, sorry, he, he hid me, he made me into a polished arrow. And this is kind of, you know, militaristic, this imagery uh, but the idea uh, would be that there's the establishment of a kingdom, and that's normally done uh, through military conquest. And uh, as we'll talk about later, that's not how Jesus got things done. But also there's this image of a sword, uh, you know, coming from a mouth. And when we read in Revelation, we see that the Apostle John speaks of Jesus in this same way, that Jesus is seen with a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. Uh, we see um, uh, this uh, calling where it says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. 
And in Luke 2, as we just had in the reading there, we see that this is a prophecy that is given to Jesus when he is born. And we see the work of Jesus as he restores God's people to himself, but also his salvation goes beyond God's people to the ends of the earth so that all people, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, can come to faith in Jesus. Uh, In verse 8, we see, uh, it says, I will keep you and make you a covenant for the people. And in Jesus, we see that he establishes a new covenant, a new way for God to relate to the world, that he, his relationship to us uh, comes to us through the grace of Jesus, through what he has done on the cross. We can now have a relationship with God. And then in verse 13, it says, Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This idea being that because of the good work that God does as he restores the earth and brings uh, all people to himself, that the the earth rejoices, that nature itself uh, cries out. And we see uh, in uh, Romans 8 that it tells us that all of creation is waiting for for when the children of God will be revealed. That this is a, a big task that is put here on the servant of the Lord and it can be only be fulfilled by Jesus. And so as we work towards Easter, uh, we can see that, that this is a great hope that we can look forward to celebrating again, that God has sent us Jesus and he has fulfilled these promises. But the question in all this, you say, all right, great, we've figured out who the servant is. It's Jesus. Great. Tick the boxes. All done. What does it mean for us? Because really, you know, we've got to figure that out. Like, how does this impact our lives? How does it change what we do with our life? Well, the the good thing that we see, I think, in this passage is that in Jesus, God is going to get his work done and he will do it without us and he will do it for us and he will do it with us. I think that's what we see uh, in this passage. Uh, Firstly, we see that God works without us. Uh, In in this servant, uh, this servant is here to do the job that Israel cannot do, that God's people have not been able to do. Uh, It is a big job, it is too big. And so because they cannot do it, uh, this servant comes to do what they cannot do. God works without his people. He does it in the servant. Uh, I was in Perth last week and uh, on my way uh, back to Perth, I was getting getting dropped at uh, the airport uh, by the guy who he you know asked me to come over to Perth to do a few different things. And he was dropping me off at the airport. And as he dropped me off, he said, safe flight or fly safe. And, and people sometimes say that to me when I'm getting on a plane. And I think it's a very strange thing to say. And sometimes I will say to them, oh, I'll do my very best and I'll let the pilot know. And, and because the reason is I have, I have nothing to do with how safe the plane flies. It is totally, totally outside of my control. Like, the reason why I will get safely back to Melbourne is because of the skill of the pilots and because of the ability of the the engineers uh, who designed the plane and the engineers who work on the plane and the, you know, the air traffic controllers who, you know, make sure the plane doesn't crash into other planes and the pilots of the other planes who also make sure they don't crash into other planes. 
There are all the people who get me safely to wherever I'm going. That is how I fly safe. I do not fly safe. I just turn up, which is great because I can just sit on the plane and if I sleep the whole way, it doesn't make a difference. If the pilot sleeps the whole way, that may be a problem. Or I can be totally freaked out. I can be like pulling armrests off the seat because I'm afraid of flying. And that won't make any difference to whether or not the plane gets safely to its destination. It is not about me, which is a great relief because if people were relying on me to get a whole plane of people safely to Melbourne, then we would all die. So it's, it's fantastic that, that this is all done without me. And this is what God does for us, that he works to bring his people back to himself. He works to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, and he does it without us. He doesn't need us. And, and it's great because we would fail. The task is too big. As we have seen and we've talked about just before in verse 6, He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. How is that too small a thing? That's a big task to bring people back from exile, whether it's physical or spiritual exile, to bring back one particular group of people. That is too small a thing. Oh, and he's like, oh, and it's too small a thing for you. You can do this next thing, which is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We cannot achieve that. That is too much for us. But in the hands of Jesus, it is enough. That God works for us, and he works without us, and he does it in Jesus. And that is a great relief to us, because the salvation of the earth does not rely on us. The good work of God does not rely on us. We can relax. And this is good news, because sometimes, you know, I spend time with parents, and they talk to me about their kids and how they want their kids to come to know Jesus. And this is a good and important desire. And it can be something that raises anxiety. Uh, But the good news is that it's not up to the parents to bring their kids to faith in Jesus. Because because even though, uh, you know, we have a job to love people and parents have a job to love their kids and to share the good news of Jesus with them, it is God who will bring them to faith in him. And it's God who has the power to save. Uh, In my job doing youth ministry with young people, I really want young people to come to know Jesus. But I know that I can't change any hearts. I cannot make the gospel, make them know that the gospel is true. I can love them and I can share the good news of Jesus with them, but it's not up to me to save them. That is up to God. And so that takes the weight off my shoulders. And I have friends who I meet and they can be going through all sorts of problems. I have friends... And I know that the answer for them is that they need Jesus. And I can say to them, you know what the answer is for you? You need Jesus. And I want to just be like, I just want to grab your life and fix it. But I know that I can't. I can't do that. But I don't have to. I can entrust them to God and know that he is is the one who is responsible for them, that he looks after them. It's between them and God. And so I can entrust them to him and I can relax. Because it's not up to me to save people. It's not up to me to bring salvation to the earth. God has done that in Jesus. God changes people's hearts through the Holy Spirit. I just get to love and share the good news of Jesus because God works without me. And that is fantastic. But then the next thing we say is that not just that uh, in Jesus God will work without us, but in Jesus God works for us. And this is great news as well. And we see that the servant of the Lord comes and so that all people 
uh, may have the opportunity to come to faith in God, to be brought into God's family. God does all this work on our behalf. Even though we don't deserve it, He does it for us. Uh, I am someone uh, who is a celiac, and uh, that means that I can't eat gluten. And uh, uh, this is, you know, I don't really like, you know, this is not a you know, thing that I really love about me, but it's just a thing that is a thing. So I can't eat wheat or barley or oats or rye. And if I do, then I, I get very well acquainted with the toilet. And if I do it too much, then I get very well acquainted with cancer. So it's a bad thing for me to eat gluten. And so I have to be kind of careful. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk, tell people about it. I don't want to go to the restaurant and be like, oh, I'm gluten-free. And they're like, oh, you're gluten-free. You're one of those people. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person, but I, but I have to be. And, uh, and in my family, uh, you know, this is a thing that this is just the case. You know, my dad is celiac and my cousins are celiac and I've got aunties who are celiac. My adopted sister is even a celiac. I don't know how that happened, but, <laughs> but that's what happens. And, and this should be my responsibility to look after my own eating habits. But when I get to eat with other people, people take it upon themselves to make sure that I can eat properly. That, you know, people, you know, if I go over to someone's house for dinner, then people will often text me and send me photos of the back of boxes and, you know, sauces and say, can you eat this? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I can. And normally I'm like, well, look, I can just bring corn thins if you want. But they're like, no, no, we're going to make sure that you're fine. Or, or then when we go out to a restaurant, uh, then people will, you know, ask the, the wait staff. They'll be like, this, this guy is a celiac. What can he eat on the menu? Which is great, because I don't like having that conversation. I will just kind of go through the menu and kind of try and figure out what looks like it might be gluten-free. But other people will, you know, do the work for me. Or when I'm at a wedding and they're, you know, bringing around the, you know, the, the, you know, the little pieces of food that you get in a wedding, because it's a stand-up one, not a sit-down one. I can't remember what that was. Like cocktail? Is that one? Uh, canapes. canapes, thank you. Yeah, canapes. Uh, I couldn't think of that when I was writing my sermon. Canapes. Uh, when they bring around the canapes, people are like, this guy, this guy's a celiac. What have you got for him? And then the, the wait staff will be like, oh, that guy's a celiac. And then they'll come to me first and be like, look, these lamb skewers are gluten-free. And I get to eat it first because people work for me. I went, to a, I went to a restaurant the other day with some friends and they were, it was a burger place. And they were like, can you do these burgers gluten-free? And they said, we can put it on a lettuce lettuce wrap. And I was like, great, I love lettuce and burgers, that's fine. And they're like, not good enough, we're going somewhere else. They took us to another place where they did do gluten. Like, people work for me. Like, it should be my responsibility, but they work for me. And what it does, one, it keeps me alive, but two, it makes me feel loved. Like, I feel loved that people are willing to take this upon themselves and do all this work so that I can eat well and have an enjoyable time out. And what we see in, in God is like this, but much larger that we should be responsible for ourselves and we should be the ones who, you know, work on our own righteousness and salvation because really we are responsible. We are the ones who, you know, break God's laws and we are the ones who should be able to restore that relationship, but we can't and we don't. But God does it for us. That in the servant of the Lord, we see that Jesus has come and given his life so that we might be forgiven and set free, that we might be given new life that we would see in the servant of the Lord that he has risen again so that we can rise again with him. God works for us. That he goes through life and death and back to life again so that we might have life eternally in him. God works for us. And so we know that we have a God who loves us and he values us enough to put in all that work. And if nothing else, just 
feel loved because this is the work of God for you. But the last thing uh, that we see is that in Jesus, God will work, he'll get his work done without us and he'll get his work done for us, but he also gets his work done with us. And what a privilege it is that we get to join in. Uh, This uh, phrase that it says uh, about the servant, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Well, when we look at the work of the, the servant of the Lord in Jesus, Jesus never, you know, went beyond the country that he grew up in. He didn't go to the ends of the earth. But, but before he went into heaven, he commissioned his disciples and said, it's your job to go to the ends of the earth. You will go and teach, make, make disciples, teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the very ends of the earth. That Jesus invites us into his mission. He invites us to work with him, not that he needs us to, not that God needs us to bring salvation to the earth, but God lets us join him in doing this good work. And one of the things I did when I was in Perth is I did a a, a combined youth event where there were about 300 young people uh, in one room and, and, uh, and I got to talk about the Bible and talk about Jesus and invite people to become Christians. And in the lead up to it, you know, I was trying to write my talk and I got, got this, you know, talk written before I left. And I was like, I think that's all right. And then I, I kind of had my outline. I looked at it again a few days before and I'm like, yeah, I think that's all right. And then the day before I looked at it, I'm like, that's not all right. I need to fix that. And then so I had a bit of stuff on in the morning and I sat down in the afternoon before the evening's event. And I, you know, redid it. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm happy with that. And then I started practicing it. And like, I'm not happy with that. I've got to change that. So then I got rid of it. And then, I, you know, I started again. And even when I was in the Uber on the way there, I was kind of rearranging slides. And then I was like, I think this is it. And then I, like, I felt the pressure that I've got, got to get this right. And then I got to stand up when I got to do the talk and the, the, the youth were like very rowdy, which was, you know, for the first half of the talk, that was great because I was making a lot of dumb jokes and they were very happy to interact with that. But then the second half was a bit harder because I was trying to like, you know, get to the serious part and they were still like, Rawr! but eventually they calmed down. And I got to the bit where I got to tell them about Jesus and what he had done for them, that he lived and died and rose again for, for them and that they can put their trust in him and find eternal life in him. And, uh, and, I say, and then I gave them a chance to commit to him. I said, if you want to become a Christian, then I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I, and I always, at that point, I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to do that. And then a bunch of people stood up, and then a few more people stood up, and a few more people stood up. I'm like, this is amazing. There are people who are standing up, committing their lives to Jesus. And then, and then they went out the back, and I went with them, and we were chatting to them, and I found out that, you know, a bunch of them stood up just because they wanted to recommit to Jesus. At least one of them stood up because they wanted to commit to reading their Bible more, which I was like, that's not what I asked, but no worries, that's fine. But then there are a few of them who were like, you know, they came to Jesus for the very first time and they committed their life to him. Like, this is great. How exciting this is. And, I can, and, then, and then I can go away from an event like that where, where that happens. And I think to myself, wasn't it good that I was there? Isn't it good that I, I spoke about Jesus and people became Christians? Like, if I hadn't been there... They would still not be Christians, and then I was, and then I think to myself, "What are you doing, Tom? That is a stupid thing to think. It's got nothing to do with you. I've just got a little bit to do. Like you get to do it, um, but if it wasn't you, someone else would do it. Someone else would stand up and speak, and someone else would tell the good news of Jesus, and those people would still become Christians because it's not about me. 
It's about the good news that I get to share, and it's about the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. People become Christians when I speak, not because of the power of my words, but the power of God's word, and because of the, the friends who have been praying for them, and the people who have been telling them about Jesus, and the people who have brought them to youth group. I get to be there for the very end of the journey, but it's all the work that other people have done, and, and totally the work of God in their lives. It's not about me, but I just get to do it. And it's just exciting that I get to be there, to get to be part of it. And it's exciting that I get to be part of it when I work with, in the youth group and I get to, week in, week out, get to tell young people about Jesus. And, and if I didn't do it, someone else would do it. It's just a privilege to get to do it. It's a privilege that God invites us to be part of this mission of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. And so my question to you is, uh, as we wrap up, um, what is it that God is inviting you to be part of? What is it that God is inviting you to do to help bring salvation to the ends of the earth? So that you can, can, you probably already know the joy, but you can continue to know the joy of seeing people that you love come to know Jesus. Is it someone who you need to keep praying for? Is it, is it someone who you need to share the good news of Jesus with? Is there a ministry that maybe you could start volunteering with? Maybe it's about where you give your money. Do you, maybe you could give your money to world missions so that unreached people groups can hear about Jesus. There are so many good things to do with our time and so many great ways to spend our money and to use our prayers and to put our energy into. But here is, here is probably the best thing that we can do, to join with God on His work. That God, we have the privilege of joining Him in bringing salvation to the ends of the earth that all people might know about Jesus and what He has done for them at the cross. This is a great privilege. In Jesus, God will get his work done. He'll do it without us and he'll do it for us and he does it with us because he's a generous God who invites us in to his mission. Uh, if you are not a Christian, then what this, all this means for you is that there is a God and he loved you enough that he was willing to do what you could not do for yourself, that he came to, to us as a man in Jesus that had been prophesied before, hundreds of years before, thousands of years before, that people were looking forward to his arrival. He turned up and he lived and the life that you cannot live. And he died the death that you deserve to die but could not die for yourself. And he came back to life so that you may get forgiveness and eternal life if you trust in him. This is the good news of the servant of the Lord. And if you trust in him, you will find life and you'll be brought back to the God who loves you. And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is that you need to figure out what is it that in this message uh, that, that God wants to share with you. Maybe it's just that you can relax, that the, the weight of, of God's work doesn't rely on you. He works without us. Or maybe it's that you just need to know that you are loved, that God, you don't have to do the work for yourself. He's already done it for you in Jesus, that you are cared for. Or maybe it's that you get to join in. And the question is, where will you join God in his work to bring salvation to the earth. I'm going to say a quick prayer uh, and then I'll hand back over. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, uh, that we see in him that he is the prophesied servant of the Lord and that we see that he was able to do what we cannot do, that he worked uh, doing your work, living and dying and rising again, so that we might know you, that we might be brought into your family, we who are at the ends of the earth, that we know you because of him.
I pray that we will be able to trust him to know that you do your work without us, that you've done your work for us, and that you invite us to do your work with you. I pray that we will know these things and we will join you in your work. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that was the talk, and I hope it was helpful for you. If you want more talks, or to read my blog, or order my book, or even to book me to speak, remember to go to tomfrench.com.au. It's my home on the internet. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWFrench, or on Insta at TWFrench. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast, so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.